APPA's Public Power Now podcast. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. We're joined today by Javier Fernandez, President and CEO of Omaha Public Power District. Javier recently became President and CEO of the utility after Tim Burke retired from Nebraska Public Power Utility. Javier previously served as Vice President and Chief Financial Officer at OPD. Javier, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Paul. So, Javier, kind of get the get things started. Um, wanted to talk to you about uh, uh, something obviously relatively timely in terms of events that have happened this month, uh, specifically the recent storm that hit Nebraska um, in early July. OPPD uh, experienced a historic storm that at one point left near more left more than 180,000 customers without power. Um, so, I had several questions for you on, on that topic. Um, First of all, could you provide details on where current power restoration efforts stand as of the date we're talking, which is July 23rd? Certainly. So, um, so I uh, nine nine days into my tenure as CEO of OPPD, uh, I was granted the opportunity to really show what this organization is made of, uh, the type of training, the dedication, the passion to serve that our customer owners are used to receiving from from OPPD employees really was put to the test. We um, we experienced the largest and most devastating storm measured by uh, customers that lost power uh, that we've ever, ever experienced in our 75 years of, of history. Um, I am very happy to report that today, as of July 23rd, uh, all of the customers who initially lost power that uh, night from July 9th to the 10th, They've all, they've all been restored. In fact, we, uh, as of Friday, July 16th, so six days after the storm hit, we were able to restore power to the, all the, all the customers who lost power from the onset of the storm. Now, after July 16th, of course, the damage was so widespread and, and devastating that, you know, still branches and trees continue to fall. And, and we, we've had a few incidents that could be tied to the original storm. And we continue today to, to restore uh, our system to bring bring it back to a healthy uh, state. But for all purposes, I would say all the customers who lost power, uh, there were 188,000 customers who lost power from the beginning of the storm and almost 12,000 customers who lost power as a result of the storm in the subsequent days. So almost 200,000 customers and uh, as of today, I can tell you that, that all of them have been restored and uh, they all have have power back on. Well, great. That's obviously an impressive turnaround in terms of restoration efforts. But, but as you know, um, these things don't happen in a vacuum, but they require a lot of preparation long term. And, and so um, I wanted to know if you could kind of elaborate on what steps OPPD took in terms of uh, effectively responding to the storm. I guess maybe. Um, you know, longer-term planning and also uh, the immediate um, reaction to the storm. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. I so yeah, just like many other public power entities that uh, are probably listening to these to these podcasts, we we prepare. You know, we are not strangers to storms, and I know there are utilities across the United States who experience hurricanes or forest fires and all you know, everything in between. Storms are, are not uncommon in our service territory. And so we have a, a, a very robust storm restoration process uh, that we've, we've continued to calibrate and improve through time. 
Um, so this storm came to us as a level two storm, uh, which is important and it's one that we, we take, uh, take seriously and we were anticipating that storm to hit our service territory. So from, from the beginning of, uh, you know, sometime in that Friday afternoon, we started getting our storm teams ready and on alert, making sure that we have everything ready to, to respond to that type of storm. Really what we did not anticipate was that that level two storm quickly, within half an hour, turned into a level five storm and the, the speed of the wind picked up from an estimated 50 miles an hour to almost 100 miles an hour in a matter of 30 minutes, right? And so, so the storm really came in incredibly uh, stronger uh, with a uh, path of destruction that was wider than we've ever experienced it before. Uh, so, so that, that really, I, I wouldn't say caught us by surprise entirely, but the devastation, the, the effect of the storm was really wider than we had expected it because again, the storm, the meteorological, uh, contributions to that storm made it a really, really big storm in a really short amount of time. Uh, something that we learned and how we responded, it's, it's true to the spirit of public power. Uh, we enlisted the help of mutual aid crews. Uh, mutual aid, once again, continue to be an incredibly uh, uh, important and valuable resource for us. Uh, we've been working on mutual aid uh, contracts and, and participating in different mutual aid constructs. And that allowed us to immediately start calling up on, on mutual aid. Uh, Twelve utilities uh, and other organizations, private uh, electrical companies, they immediately responded. And because of that, we were able to start mobilizing crews as fast as we could, some of them traveling two to three days uh, as they were helping restore other uh, natural events on the East Coast. But at some point, I, I think probably around Monday, Monday into Tuesday, uh, we had more than 900 boots on the ground, almost a 1,000. There was a time where we had almost a 1,000 people on the ground, uh, from the damage assessment crews to uh, safety teams, line techs, tree crews, um, uh, all the crews also working on underground cable. It was a massive effort. I, I, I will highlight the tree crews. Uh, they were incredibly important for these whole restoration. As you can imagine, the, the biggest damage was caused by trees, not only tree limbs, uh, snap, uh snapping, but Literally, trees, entire trees just being uprooted and, and on top of homes and infrastructure. So tree crews were, were very important uh, for our line crews to, to be effective in doing our work. I, I'm really proud of the team. Uh, again, I mentioned they have a passion to serve. They work really hard in in complex and um, sometimes hazardous conditions. Uh, but I'm also very proud that We've been working on a safety program for many, many years, and that safety program really evidenced itself last week in that we completed all this work with really no major safety event. <laughs> you know, considering all the work that was performed, we only had one minor safety incident to report, and that was uh, one, one of our line workers uh, who got bit by, by a dog, uh, a minor dog bite. I wouldn't want to be that person, but, but still, all in all, it, considering the, the, the damage and the safety issues that we could have faced, the fact that we completed all these work without a major safety incident, to me, was was really a testament of 
of all the work that we've been putting in for, for many years, training our folks to do work safely. So um, my final question as it relates to the, to the storm is um, your role um, in relation to the utility response, uh, specifically, you could talk about um, internally how your role in terms of utility operations and equally important externally as it relates to communicating with customers. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Paul, and especially one one that that's especially important for me as I'm very new into into this role. And uh, to me, m- my role really was uh, one of a, a key element of of my work last week was trust, like trust in in the organization, trust in the processes we have in place, in the people, the thousands of people who have been training for these type of events. So for me, it was one of Sitting back, standing in the back of the room, observe, making sure that, that I was facilitating communication between teams, uh, but really staying out of the way of, of the people who do these really, really well. Uh, they've been trained and they've, uh, they, they did their jobs really well. Um, ensuring and, and really sending that message about safety, reminding all of our folks about, uh, issues like, like safety was important. Um, uh, dealing with, uh, media. Uh, communicating with our public officials, uh, I, I had daily calls, uh, daily interactions with the governor of Nebraska, with the mayor of Omaha, with our elected officials, all of our board members, making sure that they were informed, that we, we had a good cadence of communication, information that they may need. Um, uh, and then, and then another, another piece that I played here was being the face of OPPD with, with the media, right? And so we started, uh, press conferences uh, 48 hours after the event, uh, at, and we, we did those on a daily basis, um, standing in front of the cameras and, and answering questions from reporters, making sure that we were sharing as much information as we could, uh, as fast as we could, not only with the TV, but also using our social media channels. So a lot, all of our press conferences were streamed live on Facebook. And so that was an interesting piece that the organization really hadn't had to do in recent history a storm of this uh, size with press conferences that were broadcasted on uh, new media forums other than than TV and radio. Now it's also social media. Um, And I'll tell you probably another important role that I played uh, was to provide guidance. I sat around the storm restoration uh, operations table uh, a lot during the storm, and uh, you know, in, in, during these times of of, of crisis, there there were there were a few, not many, but there were a few uh, uh, questions where, hey, you know, we there's there's some prioritization about how we restore work, uh, we're restoring work, to, uh, sorry, how we're restoring power, we're restoring power back to hospitals and critical infrastructure. And then there were a few times when the questions were, were is this critical infrastructure? Is this more of a, a, a restoring power to a certain area that might be uh, more popular than other areas? And th- this is where I came in and said, no, absolutely not. Uh, I don't care how much pressure we may be getting from, from XYZ customer or, or uh, whatever pressure we were getting. It was a, 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 an accountability for me to, to be there on the table and say, we will only restore power based on our triage uh, procedure, uh, trying to restore power to as many people as fast as we can, looking at the biggest circuits first and going down the list. 
And so it, it was important for me to be there to give the team the assurance that no political pressure, no commercial or business pressure was more important than the pressure of getting power to as many people as possible. Um, that, that was important because there were, there were rumors, uh, and, and I was asked a few times during press conferences uh, whether or not we were favoring restoration to certain neighborhoods, more affluent or influential neighborhoods in our service territory. And I had to say many times with a straight face, I was I was part of the restoration to say no uh, that 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 did not happen under my watch and that I was I was there to help prioritize and, and make sure that the teams were focused on on rest, restoring power to as many people as we could without without any any type of favoritism or prioritization other than restoring power as fast as we could to as many people as many circuits that we could get the more people back with power. Great. Um, so kind of just uh, switching gears here, um, could you talk about your priorities and goals as, as the new president and CEO of OPPT, both in the short term and longer term? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm honored and humbled that the board of directors uh, selected me and they hired me to lead this organization. I am following on the steps of, of, a, of a man that I admire and I call him a good friend, uh, Tim Burke, who was very active with APPA. Um, so it's, it shouldn't come as a surprise that some of the priorities that we already had going on continue to be my priorities. That's part of the continuity that the board, uh, that is important for the board of directors. There is a mix between continuity on priorities, but also a little bit of uh, transformation uh, and really pushing the organization where our board wants us to go. So my, my top three priorities, and I would, I combine, I oftentimes combine them into one, and that's our people. Uh, keeping our people safe, keeping our people physically healthy, and keeping our people mentally healthy. That last one became really apparent uh, in, uh, under the COVID environment where we had uh, about half of our workforce working from home and the other half working uh, on the field. And, uh, you know, we, we started seeing signs that our employees uh, really could have or would have uh, benefited from mental health assistance and making sure that we're all in, 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 in a good place, both physically and mentally, as well, of course, as keeping our people safe. Those are my three most important priorities. N none of what we do uh, could be done without having a healthy and a safe workforce. Um, other than that, I think that's uh, my, my next priority after keeping people safe and healthy. Is building a, a senior management team, executive leadership team. Uh, of course, my position is vacant, so I am actively recruiting for that position. Uh, we have another VP who is leaving the organization, uh, uh, going to retirement. So, so building that executive leadership team is incredibly important. Uh, that's a priority for me to bring the right person uh, as fast as we can, so that we continue leading the organization. Uh, followed by what we call power with purpose uh, investments. Power with purpose is, is, is a name that we've given to this big uh, project we have going on, which includes uh, retiring our three oldest coal units. They used to be coal, now they're operating under gas, uh, but they're the three oldest units we have in our territory in North Omaha. By 2024, all those three will be retired. We will at the same time uh, 
to a conversion of coal-based load generation for North Omaha Units 4 and 5 will turn them into gas peaker stations. Um, and part of that conversion means, well, we need to uh, add more energy and capacity to our fleet. So we are uh, actively pursuing uh, 600 megawatts of utility-scale solar with 600 megawatts of backup natural gas generation. Really, really busy uh, building, uh, constructing two new peaking stations, natural gas peaking stations, uh, busy procuring all that solar. Uh, and with all of that, you know, there's all the work that comes in with new substations, new transmission infrastructure. So really busy executing on that plan. I am excited about that plan because it is it will result in OPPD improving uh, on our resiliency, uh, our reliability, and uh, reducing our carbon emissions by about 30% uh, for, for the entire organization. It's about 3 million tons of CO2 that will not be emitted uh, as a result of this of this program by 2024. So really excited, but it's a big, big project, big series of projects, and so that, that remains a top priority to make sure that we deliver and we execute on that program well. Great. Um, so, um, as you know, uh, Moody's Investor Service and S&P Global recently affirmed strong ratings on long-term bonds and short-term debt for OPPD. So, we'd love to have you elaborate on the steps that OPPD has taken to earn those strong ratings. Yeah, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a great question. As, as a former CFO, this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and even before I joined the utility industry, um, I, I used to be an investment banker. I used to issue municipal debt, so very familiar with these uh, metrics and the ratings. Uh, this is something that really doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you know, this started happening maybe 10 years ago or so. My predecessor uh, as a CFO began a lot of the transformation, and, and I, I was able to continue. Uh, it's focused on financial health. Uh, we have a very healthy uh, debt service coverage ratio target uh, internally of two times debt service coverage. Uh, our legal covenant with investors is 1.4 times, but but we ha- we hold ourselves to a two-point time. That's the way we budget. That's the way we operate. And so that has helped us quite a bit uh, to maintain those ratings. It has helped us quite a bit to pay cash for a lot of our capital investments. Uh, it's been now over five consecutive years where 100% of, of our capital investments are, are paid by cash generated the same, uh, the same year. Uh, so that has driven our debt to capitalization ratio down to about 56%. Uh, and we have maintained days liquidity in the 250 to 270 days cash, on, uh, days liquidity on hand. Uh, this has been fantastic because I just mentioned all the construction that's that's taking place. We will enter into a, a couple of years of debt issuance. So we've been we've been deleveraging the organization to the point where it, now we have the space, the capacity to take on additional debt as we take on uh, new new projects and add to our asset base. So it, it has been a very deliberate approach to uh, balance. Our debt issuance with uh, cash and liquidity and having a, having good uh, metrics, 
Uh, as at the end of 2020, we had $1.7 billion of senior and subordinate lien bonds outstanding. And we had a $250 million, uh, commercial paper program. That's another one that I want to talk about. We, we increased our commercial paper program from $250 million to $350 million. We have that authorization to, to add to our commercial paper program. And we did that through a, an asset liability matching concept where we have enough uh, short-term assets invested in short-term uh, instruments that we are matching with a, a short-term commercial paper uh, part of our debt portfolio, and, and it, it has resulted in, in a ton of savings for, for the organization with a well-risk-mitigated strategy uh, that allows us to, to flex the amount of commercial paper we have outstanding at any time. Um, have a strong and diverse customer base uh, here in, in Omaha. Well, in the state of Nebraska is one of the states that has consistently uh, shown uh, we, we've consistently had one of the lowest unemployment rates in the nation. And every time we've had a, a crisis or an economic crisis or a recession, we usually Nebraska usually bounces back faster than the rest of the, of the nation. So that helps a ton uh, to maintain our, our ratings. I think rating agencies acknowledge that strong uh, economy and the diverse economy, low unemployment rates. Um, something we've been hearing from from uh, rating agencies is their concern about uh, carbon emissions. And so OPPD has still today a high profile on carbon emissions. So one of the reasons why we've been able to have good conversations with rating agencies and maintain the ratings we have is, you know, sharing with them the plans that we have and demonstrating all the investments we're making and demonstrating that we have our eye on reducing those carbon emissions as fast as we can. We have a mandate, a strategic directive from our board of directors. Uh, so that's how we are addressing that uh, carbon emission profile. Um, and then last, uh, really, it's, it's our rates. Our rates continue to be below, uh, almost uh, over 8% below the regional average and about 15% below the national average. Uh, we're, we're very proud of that. However, we're not just resting on our, on our laurels because once you start looking into specific zip codes, we know there are areas in our service territory that, uh, that are hurting. Uh, a little bit more than others. So, in addition to focusing on low rates, we are also focusing on how the en- how that energy burden is felt by different people in our service territory, and that's work that is starting. And I'm very excited about that because it it provides us another layer of uh, of analysis to make sure that our customer owners, all different customer owners, uh, have as low of an e- of an energy burden as possible, so that we can keep that uh, vibrant economy in Omaha going. So I th- I know that was a mouthful. You can tell this is my one of my areas of passion, but that's that's a little bit of a summary of how we are, we've been able to maintain those ratings. Thanks for that, uh, that great overview, Javier. Um, so circling back to the uh, pandemic, which you mentioned earlier, um, in terms of customer service specifically, any details uh, you could offer in terms of lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic for OPPD? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one where I, I assume most uh, utilities, I know uh, some some of the larger utilities that I talk to regularly, they did something similar to what we did. 
we developed our program was called customer first solutions. So really with a customer first in mind, we were looking at, okay, what, what, what are the different actions that we have in front of us that we can take to lessen the impact, the burden on customer owners as the pandemic yeah, the onset of the pandemic and as it uh, evolved and people were losing jobs and restaurants were closing down, uh, services, hotels, airports. I mean, it, it was, as you know, the, the effects were felt across the, the industry. We launched this uh, customer first solutions uh, program. Um, we learned, of course, uh, there was a lot of information that was not necessarily well known about our energy assistance programs, uh, energy efficiency programs. So we launched uh, additional efforts to make sure that people had that information. Uh, we uh, we suspended uh, disconnects at, for, for non-payment and late payment fees. Uh, earlier on, I, I believe it was in April of 2020, uh, we did that. This is an interesting one because I know uh, people listening to this podcast may still have that policy in place. I know there are many utilities who suspended this connection and suspended late payment fees, and they just kept that suspension for a really long time. I understand why 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 that happens. Uh, for us, we with the customer first in mind. One of the things that we did was uh, th- that suspension lasted, I think, a little bit over three months. So by July of 2020, we went back to our board and we said, hey, we we have enough evidence to tell us that suspending disconnects and suspending late payment charges was beneficial to customers. However, the data is also telling us that if if we leave these for too long, we may be causing an even bigger problem to the same customer owners who, who need our help the most. Uh, in other words, we, we were afraid that leaving the disconnect, uh, moratorium and the late payment moratorium on for too long would have created a mountain of debt that a single customer owner would be really hard, if not impossible to get out of, uh, if we left that for a year or a year and a half. So it was not a popular decision, and I, but I think all of our board members understood, uh, that that was sometimes necessary in order for, for customer owners to stay current. So we we resumed disconnects and, and late payment charges in, in the July time frame. And I'm I'm very happy to, to report that today our arrears, our uh, old age debt uh, from customer owners is at the same levels that, that it was pre-pandemic. So I'm not saying that customers haven't suffered and they some of them have had to uh, really uh, Dedicate and concentrate in paying their bills, but it, but today we have a receivables portfolio that is uh, relatively healthy. It's similar to what we had before the pandemic. Um, the last thing I'll mention here is we we partnered. I think partnership was the, the most important term here. We partner with other entities. We partner with the federal government, with the counties, as we got CARES Act funding. We made sure that we facilitated the deployment of CARES funding as fast as possible. I believe we, we were one of the first, uh, yeah, Douglas County in Nebraska was one of the first counties that was able to start deploying those CARES uh, fund, funds uh, nationally. We, we were one of the first ones to, to do that. And that's because our staff worked really hard 
effort to make sure that we had we were facilitating the flow of those federal dollars to our to our customer owners. Um, we had a lot of our own customer owners, those who were not hurting or not hurting as much. They donated uh, their own funds to uh, the energy assistance program we have. This is a voluntary uh, fund where people get to uh, donate. Our own employees donate to this fund, and so we we were able to gather a significant amount of dollars on the energy assistance program to to help our customers. Was the aid enough? Um, no, I don't think it was enough. There's still a lot of people hurting uh, today, but I I am proud of, of what we did because. Really, it was it was putting our customers first uh, that that helped that helped us come up with all of these solutions. Great. Um, so, my final question relates to the uh, power purpose project, which you went into detail uh, earlier on. Um, so, I, I, my my final question is specifically how. Would you? See, how do you see that project fitting in with your overall vision for the utilities of future generation? Oh, it, so this project is is pivotal uh, in, in in my opinion, and we we have had many very significant uh, generation decisions in the past decade, uh, starting with the uh, closure and current decommissioning of our nuclear plant, the Procolho Nuclear Station. That was announced and, and put in place back in 2016 uh, for economic reasons. That uh, the plant was uh, it was not economical for us to continue to run. So we uh, we decommissioned that plant. It was almost 500 megawatts of, of clean power uh, that we that we decommissioned. Um, then followed by what I described a few minutes ago on, on uh, retiring the North Oma stations unit one, two, and three converting units four and five from coal to gas. Uh, all of this is helping us uh, do many things. One is keep affordability uh, at bay. Uh, it has helped us keep our, our costs low. Um, but at the same time, it has put some pressure on our reliability and resilience uh, of, of the system. So we are boosting our resilience and reliability by adding more uh, capacity and more energy to our portfolio with 600 megawatts of solar and 600 megawatts of peaking natural gas. Um, and as we do all of these, this is for the first time, really, we have codified and really modeled these optimization with three objectives in mind. Uh, low cost, high reliability, and low emissions. So uh, very proud of what the team did. This is a three-dimensional optimization where we are uh, improving upon all three variables. I mentioned it's lowering our, our, our carbon emissions by 30%. We still have 70% to, to, to go. Our board uh, has established a directive that tells us that we need to be net zero carbon by 2050. Uh, we continue to get uh, comments from the public and even from, from our board members uh, saying, well, 2050 uh, is doable. Can we do anything sooner? Uh, we are hearing this from the federal government and from other utilities. So these power with purpose set of projects is really setting us up in a really nice way to continue to, uh, our path was to decarbonize the utility without uh, compromising our reliability, resilience, and certainly not the affordability. 
we all got a really good taste of what resilience means. Uh, back in February, we had a polar vortex uh, storm. And uh, for the first time in OPPD's history, we had to have controlled outages. Um, uh, the South Power Pool uh, instructed us to do that. And as members of SPP, we complied. And, and that was really to, to shore up resources and avoid a massive uh, blackout for, for, for the region. So resilience has always been important, but I would say the February storm really put that resilience in a whole new different uh, scale of importance. I believe our, our customer owners uh, and ourselves, we got a good taste of what how important it is for us to have a resilient system. So as we continue to march on our pathways to decarbonization, uh, keeping a really close eye on reliability, resilience. Our reliability was tested last week with a storm. Uh, making sure that, the, that you know, as, as we pursue decarbonization, we're not going to let the lights go out. Um, so that's it, these power with purpose set of, of uh, investments are really helping us optimize on those three variables of affordability, reliability, and environmental distortion. Well, Javier, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a very informative conversation. Um, and as with all of our guests, uh, you have an open invitation to return as guests in the future. I'm sure we'll have plenty to discuss starting with uh, any updates on the Power of Purpose Project. So thanks again for taking the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.